You are listening to the Central Students Podcast. To learn more about Central Students, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net slash students. Uh, we are going into a new series. Um, just, just, so, uh, just for kicks and giggles, how many of you um, remember the last series we did? Like what book of the Bible were we going through? We were in 2 Corinthians, right? So we went through 2 Corinthians, and now we are in a new series going through the book of Joshua. And the name of the series, I decided to go with the name Turning Points, um, because really if you understand kind of like the context of this story, this is a massive turning point in the, uh, in the life of the people of Israel, right? So just to kind of give you a little bit of history of what's going on here. So uh, in uh, Joshua chapter 1 is, starts with like something that it sounds super depressing, but it starts with in verse 2, Moses is dead. Like, Awesome right? Like, great way to start things out. So what you have is the people of Israel, right? Just like, so maybe some of you have heard this, but just in case, we're going to recap it, right? So you know what? God bless you. No Gatorades? That's all right. Sprite is delicious. Un momento, por favor. Sprite. All right. I don't want to knock it over, so I'm going to put it somewhere where I rarely go. Okay. So, um, so basically what you have is the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, okay? They were slaves in Egypt for years and years, and God sent Moses to free the people from captivity, and when they crossed the Red Sea and all this stuff, and basically what happened, so if you, if you know the story, so they crossed the Red Sea, then they get to the edge of the promised land, and then what happens? Anybody? Yeah, so they get scared, right, of the promised land. They're like, yeah, I know God promised this to us, but I don't think so, right? Like that, there's no way we're going to be able to defeat those people. So they end up leaving and they wander in the wilderness for how long? For 40 years, right? For 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness, a trip that would only take a few days from Egypt to the promised land, the land of Canaan, ended up taking a 40-year trip. A whole generation of people died off, and now now that Moses has died, Moses ends up dying at the age of, just let me see if anybody knows this. How old was Moses when he died? He was 120. All right, he was 120, right? So Moses was 120 when he died. And now that Moses has died, there is a transition, right? There, the God is now saying, all right, like 40 years is up. It's time to go into what I promised you, right? It's time for you to move on from being this ragtag group of people who wander in the wilderness to now it's time for you to fulfill what it is that I have promised you. Right, This turning point. And if we're honest, all of us at some point have turning points in our lives. Maybe for you it's something small. Maybe it's like going from one grade to another. Right? Maybe those of you who uh, maybe you, you know, you're a freshman in high school, like going from middle school to high school, like that's a turning point. Maybe some of you are at that super scary turning point of about to be like, like graduating high school. And like it's just like, Mm, right? And it's like, and it's kind of terrifying, this thought of, you know, what do I do? Maybe others of you are at a turning point, not necessarily physically in your life, but you're at a turning point when it comes to where you are spiritually with God, right? Like, you're interested, 
Like you were like, nah, I don't want that stuff, right? And then you're kind of like a little interested, right? Or maybe you've, you know, I've given my life to Christ, but I have no idea what to do now, right? So we all are at these different turning points in our lives. And the question is, what do we do when we're there? Everyone talks to you about what do you do in this season, what do you do in this season, but what do you do when you're transitioning seasons? That's what we're going to kind of look at as we look at the story of Joshua and the people of Israel. So there's a few things that I want us to understand is we're going to look at three things. And the first thing is we're going to look at the giving of the promise. So first thing is I'm going to go ahead and just read Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And if you have it, awesome, follow along with me. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Notice that. Moses was the servant of the Lord, but Joshua was an assistant of Moses. Found that interesting, right? Moses, my servant, is dead. This is God speaking to Joshua. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them. To the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the wilderness, uh, sorry, as far as the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So we're going to look at a couple things. But one, we're going to look at the giving of the promise, right? So God calls Joshua, and he's like, hey, Moses, my servant, is dead. Time to wake up. Right? Time for you to, hey, like, let's, let's, it's time to fulfill the thing that I have promised you. So the question that we have to ask is, what is this promise? Right? Because he mentions, like, I'm going to take you to this place just as I promised Moses. Just as I've promised, I'm going to do. And here's the, a lot of times we kind of like, we, you don't know, maybe those of you, I, this, this is going to be going to go over your head. But some of the adults, maybe you've heard the song Standing on the Promises. Yeah, right? Standing on the promises of Christ my King, right? Right? It's that, you know, standing on the promises of God, right? And some of you, maybe you've heard that, like, I'm standing on the promises of God. But the question, but the really thing is you don't know what the promises are. It just sounds really good to say, right? So the question is, what is this promise that God's talking about? And ultimately, this promise is of land, not figurative land, not like I'm going to give you to this, this pasture of freedom inwardly. No, this is like a literal place that God is promised to the people of Israel. It's first mentioned in Genesis chapter 12, where God speaks to Abraham. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, right? So that's like the first mention of it. Then it gets more specific in Genesis 15, where God 
establishes his covenant with Abraham. He says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your offspring, I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, and it explains all the land that he will be giving. So this land has been promised to the people of Israel for hundreds and hundreds of years. Like, this is it. This is what I have promised you. I promise that I will give this to you. And we are, now here we are, hundreds of years later, and they still don't have it. They still don't have it. And ever since this point, ever since God promising this land, every reference to the promised land, if you've ever heard that, the promised land, every reference that the promised land is given to the people of Israel is referring to that original promise in Genesis that God gave to Abraham. And God will frequently mention this promise. He's going to frequently remind his people of his promises. Because here's the deal. We as sinful people, we often forget how good our God is. And we have to be reminded of the promises that he's given us. A lot of times we like to focus on the negative, but I think it's important for us to understand the things that God has promised to those that love him. It's important that we remember that, right? He has to remind his people of the promises that he has. All throughout the Old Testament, God will remain faithful to the promise. And every promise he gives Through thousands of years, several trials, countless moments of faithlessness from the people, wars, battles, exiles, and more, God's promise never changed. And you need to know this, that what God has promised, God will fulfill. If God promises something, he will not let it fail. Oftentimes we need to be reminded of the promises of God, much as the people of Israel needed to be reminded. And what we're about to study is part of how God is fulfilling his promise to the people of Israel. So let's kind of look at what we see in the text, right? So after the death of Moses, as I said earlier, Moses died at 120 years. And this is the dude, think about it, this is the dude that led Israel through some crazy things. Imagine for a second that you are the people of Israel, right? Imagine for a moment that you're the people of Israel and this guy, now this guy who's been leading you, like you have watched this dude, like you've you've watched God use this guy to split the Red Sea, to turn his staff into a snake, to turn the Nile into blood, to basically like call down fire from heaven, free you from Egyptian slavery, like you know, hit a rock and water comes out and then manna from heaven. You have seen this guy lead you to so many things. What did the, and then when Moses went up on Mount Sinai for 40 days, what did the people do? They freaked out and then they made a calf of gold to worship because they were scared because Moses left, right? They're like, this is kind of like, so what they had was their relationship with God was through Moses, And many of you in this room, and many of people, and many of us, we have a tendency to where our relationship with God is through other people. It's not really my relationship with God, but I'm just kind of mooching off of someone else's relationship with God, and it's not mine. Just want you to know, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Right? These people freak out when Moses is gone. And now this guy that has done so much, led them through so much. This is the guy that Exodus 33 says that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man would speak to his friend. This guy is dead. Great. Right? Like that's a huge shake in your foundation. Right? That's a huge thing. Like, man, what do I do now? So who's in charge now? Well, 
in Deuteronomy, it explains this before Moses died. But God establishes Joshua, Moses' assistant, to lead the people of Israel. Now, who is this Joshua guy, you might ask? I am so glad you asked. You're on top of it, right? Joshua, just a few little fun facts about Joshua. Joshua was one of the two spies, right, 40 years earlier when the people of Israel came to the promised land and Moses, uh, Moses sent 12 spies into the land, right? He sent 12 spies to just check it out, make sure that it was good to go. And all 12 of them came back saying, yo, the place is amazing. It's everything that God promised it would be. And then 10 of the spies saying, well, but there's giants in there and we probably shouldn't. Mm, we shouldn't risk it. And Joshua and who's the other one? Caleb. Joshua and Caleb were like, no, 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 no. Like, God promised this to us. We should go standing on the promise of God, knowing that he will not lie to us, he will not fail us, and we go and take what he's promised. But they don't do it, which leads them to 40 years. And notice, who are the two, who are the two people who get to see the promised land? Joshua and Caleb. That although a generation of people died in the wilderness due to their faithlessness towards God, God was still faithful to Joshua. Joshua was Moses' assistant. He followed everything that he did. And Joshua was the one that God had chosen to usher the people into the promise that he has for them. Right? Verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Joshua was God's chosen instrument. God, Joshua was the guy that God had chosen. So what does he say? He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. God is speaking here to Joshua, and he's commanding Joshua to, yo, rise up, let's move. Time to go. Time to go. Israel is at a massive turning point here, right? Moses, their leader, has now died, and God has commanded Joshua to rise up and lead. No more being number two. Time to step up and be what you need to be. Notice, Moses died, but God's promises didn't. Right? Like, God promised Moses, right? God promised this to Moses. He promises to Abraham. And you know what? God, Abraham died. Moses died. But you know what keeps going? The promises of God. God does not fall through on his promises. God cannot lie. Because if God were to lie, he would cease to be God. Titus 1 and 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages to come. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has, uh, has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Hebrews 6, 18, so by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. See, God will never back out on his promises because it's who he is. It's who he is. People will fail you. God will not. Remember that. People will fail you, but God will not. What does he say to Joshua? He says, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And because of, see, because of the faithfulness and the promises of God, Joshua is commanded to be strong and courageous. Notice that God is not just telling Joshua, hey, have confidence in yourself. Know that you're worth it. Know that, you know what, or like I've seen, I've seen a handful of churches kind of post this on their social media account, you have everything you need, or you are enough. Look, if you were enough, like 
okay, like, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, like, like you and I are not enough. Jo- God is not telling Joshua, have confidence in yourself. What God is saying is have confidence in me. Look, if you're putting your faith, if you're being strong and courageous because of your skills or your abilities or your talents or your hard work, guess what? It's going to fall flat because there's going to come a time where you're not equipped enough. You're not strong enough. You're not experienced enough. There's always somebody who knows more than you. There's always somebody who's worked harder than you. There's always somebody who is a step ahead of you. So what happens when you don't put your faith in yourself anymore and you put your faith in a God that is above all and stronger than all and is mightier than all? You know what? Now you reach a place where it doesn't, you don't come to any limits of what God can do in your life. Don't find your security and your strength and your courage in what you can do. The reason Joshua could be strong and courageous is because of the one that commanded him to be strong and courageous, God. This command to be strong and courageous is repeated two other times in this little section. But why would Joshua be courageous? Because God is the one who delivers the promised land, not Joshua. Right? God is the one that delivers the promised land. Notice how many times God reinforces his role in conquering Canaan, this promised land, right? Just a few times, he goes, go over to this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that who is giving them? He says that I am giving to them. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given you, just as I promised to Moses. Then he says, you shall cause the people to inherit the land. Ooh, that sounds like Joshua doing something. No, you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. You see, the promise is worked out by God. Not by the people of Israel. God is the one that accomplishes and fulfills his promises. You and I do not need to fulfill God's promises for him. I think a lot of times, you know, we believe that God can do all things, but we feel like, you know what, like, I need to take, I need to take matters into my own hands here. Thanks, God. I know you're trying, and it's sweet, but let me take care of this for a moment. You need to know, no, <laughs> no. The one time that they do that in the entire book of Joshua is the one time where they just get the tar kicked out of them. Your life is not so that you can put your hand on the steering wheel and act like you're in charge. No. It's submitting to the fact that God has won the victory for you and you step out in that. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Because victory has already been accomplished See, when God promises something, you can rest assured that he has attached his name to it. If he's attached his name to it, it will happen and it will not fail. And because of this promise, we have every reason to trust in God. We can be strong and courageous knowing that the battle he has called us to has already been won by him. So we see the giving of the promise. Second point, we see the receiving of the promise. How are the people of Israel to receive this incredible promise? This incredible promise of the promised land. Like the thing that for hundreds of years they've heard about. They've heard about it. And now they're finally getting to take it. They're finally getting to inherit it. How is it that God is going to give it to them? Two ways. First way is by his presence. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
See, oftentimes there's promises in the Bible that are taken out of context. Right? There's promises in the Bible. God is promising things. And what happens is, is that because like, we really don't know how to read our Bible a whole lot, what we do is we just see a promise and we're like, that's for me too. That's for me. Like, imagine like Keelan. I said, Keelan, I promise I'm going to take you to lunch this week. And Brandon's like, Mike's taking me to lunch this week? And you're like, that doesn't make any sense, right? Because why? Because that promise was specifically for Keelan. The promise wasn't for Brandon. But that's how we read our Bibles, right? God promises something to somebody specific, and we're like, sweet. Give you an example. Let me give you an example, right? When God promises, uh, God promises Abraham and Sarah that they will have a son. Like, basically, God promises that they will have a son and that their, that their descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. I cannot read that verse and say, God promises me kids. Why? Because that promise is not for you. However, there are promises that are applicable for all of us. The fact that God will not leave his people, that is a promise that is not only for the people of Israel, that is for every person who calls Jesus Lord. That we have a promise and assurance of the presence of God with us everywhere we go. Here's another thing, that there's times where God promises specific things to specific people, and while you cannot take that promise and just say, yeah, me too, but what you can do is you can see what that promise reveals to you about God. While God may promise Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a son, and I can't say, well, God promised me a son too. What I can know is that while God promises a son to Abraham and Isaac, what that shows me is that God promises that he has a future plan for everyone, not just Abraham and, Isaac, uh, Abraham and Sarah. Right? Like, it reveals the character of God. So while I may not be able in every instance to take that specific promise, what I can do is I can take what I learned about God from that promise and know that that's the God I serve. But here we see God promises his presence, which he promises to all believers. And that is how his prom- one of the ways that his promise of the promised land is going to be fulfilled is he is going to go with his people. Right? What do I do with this promise? Right? God is promising his presence to be with Joshua, so can I be assured that God will be with me? Yes, you can. Why? Because you see this promise not only here, you see this promise all throughout the Bible. Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Psalm 94.14, for the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. This fact is reinforced constantly throughout the entire Bible and throughout all the scriptures. The people of God, remember this, remember this. The people of God are always marked by the presence of God. You cannot be a Christian and not have the presence of God in your life. You can't. Why? Because the Bible makes it clear. What happens when you are saved? You're given the Holy Spirit of God. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, You're not a Christian. Now, you may want to be a Christian, and we could talk about that, right? 
We can, we can talk about, hey, like, let's get to that point. Right? Let's understand what salvation really is. And that it's not just I go to church once a week. Or I have really good church attendance. Or maybe you were even baptized. Want to know why I know I am saved? Is because I feel, I know the presence of God is with me. Because I know that I am not today who I was before. I've seen what God has done in my own life. I've seen how he has changed me, and that doesn't happen without the presence of God. And you need to know that while somebody may talk Jesus all day long, if the presence of God is not in that person's life, then maybe they're not really what they say they are. I'm not saying that we use this to judge other people. What I'm saying is we use this to judge ourselves. Where am I? Am I what I say I am? People of God are always marked by the presence of God. Ephesians 1, 14, who is the, talking about the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and he has anointed us, and he has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. A guarantee of what? A guarantee of our salvation. How do you know you're saved? The Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 5. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us, what? His spirit as a guarantee. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, just in case you're not sure about it. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And if you have a life that is marked by the presence of God, that is a life that should also be marked by freedom from sin. Not saying you're going to be perfect, but understand you're not under the bondage of sin anymore. You're not. And while we will fall short, you need to know that you have been spiritually made alive. And when we consider what we have been given with the presence of God as a gift of salvation and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Think of the confidence that that brings. That when God told Joshua that his presence will go with him, that is a promise of assured victory. The Holy Spirit, probably the most misunderstood aspect of God, being fully God. You understand, when you you have the Holy Spirit in your life as a Christian, you understand, you don't just have like the junior varsity version of God. You have the fullness of God within you. Like that's amazing. Everything that you read about God in the Bible is true of his Holy Spirit. Everything. God is merciful. The Holy Spirit's merciful as well. God's powerful. So is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not an it. Holy Spirit is a he. He is fully God. Fully God. How do they know they're going to have victory? One, the assurance of his presence. And two, Joshua's obedience. There's another way that God will deliver the victory, and it was through Joshua's obedience. Verses 7 and 8, I'm almost done. Hang with me because, like, I've just been explaining the passage to you, but the whole application is at the end, and it's like, and it's really good. So you got to stay with me. All right, verses 7. 
Only be strong and very courageous, being very careful to do according to all that the law of Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Know this, God's promises have always been deeply attached to obedience. Always. Always. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? What that means is you cannot live your life however you want to live and expect to receive the promises of God. I can't just go, yeah, whatever, God, I'm going to do whatever I want, live in open, unrepentant sin, and then for some reason expect that I will receive the promise of God. That's not how it works. Now, when we fall short, it's not like, I've, you know, I fall short, I sin, and God is revoking his promises. No, that's not what I mean. God is faithful even when we're not. But we need to know that the promises of God are always attached to obedience. Notice that Joshua needed to understand that God is faithful to his promises. However, it is imperative that Joshua stay to what God has commanded in the law. Now, I'm going to say something. I'm going to explain it. So don't like get your pitchforks, pitchforks and torches and think that I'm teaching heresy because I'm not. But what you need to know is this. The promise of salvation demands obedience. You and I cannot be saved without perfect obedience. Now, I'm going to explain that because right now you're thinking that's not true, okay? And that's good. It's good that you're thinking that. But I want you to understand, I'm going to explain what that means. Don't forget that. What is the response to this promise? We see the giving of the promise. We see the receiving of the promise. And then we see the response of the promise. So Joshua, what he does is he goes throughout the camp and he tells people, yo, wake up. Whatever, I, bad whistle, right? Here we go, time to go, right? We're ready to go? All right, you know, like, here, this is what God said, we're ready to go. And what do the people do? Verse 16 and 18, and they answer Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. And just as we obeyed Moses and all things, so we will also obey you. Only may the, Lord our, may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. What do the people of Israel do? How do they respond to Joshua to, to the to the how do they respond? They respond with devout confession of devotion to follow Joshua into the promise of God. Every promise of God leads to a response. Every promise of God leads to a response. What do the people of Israel do? God promised Joshua this. Joshua tells the people, and the people respond with obeying Joshua. Now, what do we do with this? Basically, I've just given you a bunch of just facts. What do we do with this? It'd be very easy for me to do this. And probably you've heard a lot of sermons like this. It could be very easy for me to tell you this. Hey, God has a promised land for all of you. He has a promise for all of you, which he does. So what you need to do, be like Joshua. Be strong and courageous. 
Be obedient. Know that he's not going to leave you, and you go into what it is that God's promised you. It would be very easy for me to preach that to you, but what does that do? While it may make you feel great, yeah, be strong and courageous. I got this, son, and I go out, and I do whatever I got to do, thinking I got to go attain the promise God has for me, but what I have done is not free you. I have burdened you because I have given you a task that you cannot complete, right? Be obedient to God in all things. Be faithful to him, knowing that he won't leave you. Go, accomplish what he has for you. And while it sounds great because it puts me in charge, that's why we like it, it doesn't free you. It puts burden on you. The question is this, and we ask ourselves this all the time, who am I in this story, right? Because we always like to put ourselves at the center of the story, right? Like the story of David and Goliath. Like I'm always David and I have to fight my Goliath. Right? Or like the story of Peter walking on the water. Like I'm always Peter, and however, however much faith I have determines whether I walk on the water or not. Question is this, who are you in this story? Well, let's think about this. What is the theme of the book of Joshua? The theme of the book of Joshua is God leading his people from bondage into the fulfillment of his promise. Right? Who does that sound like? Sounds like us, Right? Right? The bondage of our sin and God leading us from the bondage of our sin into the promise of new life and freedom from that sin and eternity with Him and the presence of His Holy Spirit on our lives, knowing that we have an eternity awaiting us. How did the people of Israel receive that? By following Joshua. How do we receive the promise of God? Through Jesus. You, this may, you know, what you need to know is that you are not Joshua in this story. Joshua is a type and a shadow. He's a foreshadowing of Jesus. The name Joshua, literally in the Hebrew, Yeshua, is the Hebrew version of Jesus. You know that, right? Joshua is Hebrew. Jesus is Greek. So Jesus' Hebrew name is Joshua. Yeshua. Like, like, wonder who Jesus is in this story. Here's the thing. When you read the Bible, don't ask yourself, who am I in this story? Ask yourself, where is Jesus in this story? And then as soon as you see where Jesus is, then you'll find where you are. See, while Joshua ushered in the promises of God to the people of Israel, Jesus ushers in the promise of God to all of his people. The people of Israel received the promise of God as they followed Joshua, and you and I received the promise of new life and eternity with God by following Jesus. And it was not the Israelites' obedience that wins them the promised land. It was the obedience of their leader, Joshua. And as Christians, it is not our obedience that wins us eternal life, but it was the obedience of Jesus. Like I said, you cannot have salvation without perfect obedience. You know what the difference is? Is that it's not your obedience. It's the obedience of Jesus on your behalf. Want to know why? Because Jesus lived a perfect life. Never sinned once. Never sinned a single time. And when he died on the cross, he took the punishment of your sins and my sins upon himself, the perfect sacrifice that you and I could never be. And he took that upon himself so that when I stand before God, I don't stand before God flaunting my own obedience. I stand before God saying, God, I have nothing other than the pure obedience of Jesus on my behalf.
knowing that if it wasn't for Jesus, I got nothing. As Christians, it's not our obedience that wins us the promises of God. It was the perfect obedience of Jesus because Jesus was obedient where you and I could never be. Jesus was obedient to the point of suffering for your sake and for my sake. Philippians 2. What does it say? In becoming in human form, talking about Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, Moses, and I'm almost done. Hang with me. Moses. Right? He's, you know, Moses was representative of what? Like all throughout the Bible, what did Moses represent to the Jewish person? Right? The law, right? He represented the law. So when everybody, like, what is Jesus? Whenever the, the Pharisees would ask Jesus questions about the law, they would always talk about Moses. Moses this, Moses that. Moses represented the law. And you know what I find interesting is that Moses did not lead the people into the promise of God. Not that he wasn't equipped to do so. And notice that the law is not what leads you to salvation. Right? Not that the law is insufficient. It's not that Moses was insufficient. It's not that the law of God is flawed. But you need to know that it was not God's design for Moses to lead the people into the promise. And it's not God's design for you to just do all the right things in order to inherit eternity. God's design is for Jesus to lead you into that promise. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So many of you have been trying to earn the promises of God by doing all the right things. And you're just like the people of Israel trying to get to the promised land through Moses. It won't happen. But how do we receive this? this thing that you're hungry for, this acceptance that only God can give you, this fulfillment that only God can give you, this freedom from your sin that only God can give you. You know how you receive it? By submitting to Jesus. Notice, Joshua didn't undo the law of Moses. He just stuck to it. And Jesus didn't undo the law. He fulfilled it. Moses is not leading the people into the promised land. It was not because Moses was incapable. It was because God had a different plan. You and I, see, who are we in this story? We're the people of Israel that are just following our leader. Are there consequences when we're disobedient? Yes. And we see that later in the book of Joshua. But even in that instance, Joshua is the one that has to deal with the repercussions of that. See, the book of Joshua is not about how you go into the promised land that God has for you. The book of Joshua is how you can see how the promise of God was one for you without you lifting a finger. That's why we're overwhelmed by him. Heaven wouldn't be that great if you could earn it. But because you can't, and because he gives it to you as a gift of his grace and his love for you, that you have every reason to be overwhelmed by his goodness to you. None of us deserve a good day on this earth, but he gives us a lot of them, doesn't he? Why? Because he loves us. And he loves us and he desires to be glorified in us. So what we're going to do is we're going to split into groups. Guys are going to go across the hall. Ladies are going to stay in here. 
And if you've never been with us before, a lot of us like to go to Chick-fil-A afterwards, and we go through the drive-thru, and we circle up in the Teen Challenge parking lot. Side note, try to, like, park your cars a little bit closer to the Chick-fil-A, right? You guys are, like, you know, venturing into the Goodwill parking lot. No, 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 that's the danger zone, right? Like, we stay in the, we stay in the Teen Challenge parking lot, right? Yeah, it's more, it's, you know, it's more well-lit there. All right, so, hey, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to split into our groups for just, like, a few minutes. Father, thank you for this day. God, we thank you for the promises of God, knowing that nothing can keep us from being able to receive the promise of God. Nothing can hold us back from you, not because of anything we've done, but because of your faithfulness. God, we know that we can have confidence in who you are, not because of our goodness, but because of the goodness of Jesus on our behalf. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the faithfulness of Jesus. And God, I ask that as we go to our groups, you would just give us good conversation that glorifies you. And if there's anyone in this room that does not have a saving relationship with you, God, I ask that they do not leave this place without one. God, I thank you. Thank you again for listening to the Central Students Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net slash students.